Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. He is the most important person in this church. He's the one who gives us life. He is the one who is the reason why we have home in heaven. And he's the one why we are heirs of his kingdom and children of God. It is, it is all about Jesus. Jesus is the root of our confidence, and Jesus' love is the fruit of our confidence. He's the root, and his love is the fruit of our confidence. And that's what we're going to be uh, learning today as we conclude our series over 1 John. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to the fifth chapter of the New Testament book of 1 John. It's on page 864 of your church Bibles. And last two months, we've been in a series called It's All About Love, and we have been journeying through uh, John's uh, first letter. And it's about Jesus, and it's about love, and it's about confidence. And um, we're going to be finishing up this, uh, this small book here today on this last Sunday of 08. And uh, while you're turning there, I want you to think about another question, all right? And it's this question right here. Over the past two months, while we've been journeying through 1 John, where have you seen the love of Jesus lately? Where have you seen the love of Jesus lately? We've been saying each week it's all about love. We've been saying that uh, uh, Christians loving others is uh, evidence that we belong to Jesus. And where has that, where have you seen that, either in your home or in your small group or in your church family? Uh, I, I, I want, actually, I want to hear from you if you want to be heard. Uh, that's why we have these microphones here uh, placed in our aisle, and we're going to be uh, uh, having a little bit of time just to hear back from you all about that very question, where have you seen the love of Jesus lately? So um, later on, we'll hopefully get to hear from some of you um, about that question. 1 John chapter 5, I'm going to read verse 6 and uh, following. This is the one. That's Jesus. He really is the answer to every question. <laughs> it's just all about Jesus. This church, if we were a guitar, we'd have one string and his name is Jesus. And we just keep playing it over and over again. This is the one. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Now what is that all about? Stay with me. We'll learn what that means in a moment. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which he has given about his son. Anyone who believes in the son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God 
so that you may know that you have eternal life. Let's just stop right there. Well, um, I've got in my hand what uh, I think is one of my favorite Christmas cards that I received this season, and I want to share it with you. It came from someone here at church. Uh, It's dated December the 16th, 2008. It says, I am doing very well now. I walk inside. It is cold outside. I sleep good at night. I eat good. Have a Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. That's my favorite Christmas card. It's my favorite Christmas card because it is signed William H. Kieser. William H. Kieser. Now, uh, some of you know who Bill Kieser is at our church. Uh, Bill is our church's oldest member. And uh, Bill just turned 100 years of age in October. That's why this is my favorite Christmas card. It gives me hope that perhaps one day when I am 100 years of age... I will write my pastor and wish him a happy new year and a good Christmas. And, you know, when you, and, and, it, and I mean, his mind is alert and his handwriting is legible, which is more than what many have said about mine at 47. At 100, you can read the handwriting. That's health right there, you know? And, and at 100 years of age, Bill just kind of boils it all down to just the, the simple things of this physical life, right? I eat well, I sleep well, I can walk, and I can write, and I can think. That's, that's it. I mean, when you're 100, what else matters, physically speaking? Good food, good mattress, good friends, to write cards to that you think about, and wow, uh, you know, there's hope. At the end of 1 John, the Apostle John reminds us of something simple. It's a simple certainty, isn't it? And when you just boil it all down to, and, and here is John, Grandpa John, I've said almost every week in this series, because he's an old man now. And I mean the simple certainty is Jesus, which is why he says in verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know, that you may know that you have eternal life. If we we could have just one verse from 1 John, that's the verse we'd want to have right there. The verse that summarizes all of what the Apostle John says. It's John's big idea. It's his sermon in a sentence. 1 John 5, 13. It's why he wrote all that he wrote. Now, every letter to us in the New Testament, it just doesn't appear out of a vacuum. There's a story behind this letter. And the story is that it's the end of the first century. 
And the churches in western Turkey who first heard this letter, they're filled with, the room is filled with generations of Christians, kind of like our room is here today. There's first, second, third generations and grandparents and parents and children and we're all together in the room. And the room back then wouldn't have been this big. It would have been at somebody's house. And we're all hunched together in the room and the families have gathered and they're, they're hearing from the last living apostle. John's the last one left. And he's not some naive Bible college kid. He's a seasoned old man in his 80s who can stand up and just look you in the face and say, I've lived it, I've seen it, I've done it, I bought the t-shirt. At the end of life, I, I know this. At the end of my life, there's one thing you can be certain, sure about. Just one. And his name is Jesus. To know Jesus is to know life. To have Jesus is to have life. Confidence in Jesus is confidence that you belong to God. Confidence in Jesus is confidence that you're a child of God, that you're an heir of his kingdom. It's all about Jesus. It's always about Jesus. It's only about Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's what John says. And if John were here today, he would stand behind this podium and he, you know, he could tell us, look, at the end of 2008, you may not be sure about the American economy. You may not even be sure about the American experience or the recession or the future. But you can be sure of this. If you believe in the name of the Son of God, you have life, eternal life, Life with God, life forever, life beginning right now. That's what you can be sure of. And, and that's what John has been arguing all along in this letter. If you, if you turn the page back to 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, John asserts he's no fantasy. He's no myth. I saw him. I heard him. I held him. I gazed at him. I was there at the cross. I was the first one to, to run into the empty tomb. Uh, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from sin. And so 1 John 1 says, there's, there's no sense in saying we can't sin or we haven't sinned. What we can say is when we do sin, we have a legal advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who stands with me before the Father, and he argues not my case, but his case. Not my sin, but his righteousness. Jesus pleads his life and his work and himself before God the Father. It's all about Jesus. And then John says, here, here is how you can know that you know. Michael, let's take a look at this next slide here. Because this pretty well summarizes what 1 John is all about. It's Christianity is about Jesus. And Jesus wants you confident that you belong to him. You've trusted him. He wants you to be confident in that. And then John goes on to say, here's how you can know that you know. Here's how you can be confident in your confidence. And it comes down to these three questions. Am I following God's word? Am I loving God's people? 
Am I trusting God's son? And they all three work together. You can't pick and choose. You need your brains, your heart, and your lungs. You can't have two out of three. You need them all. God's word, God's people, God's son. And, and I mention this because everything else that flows out of 1 John, from 1 John chapter 2 all the way to the very end, 1 John chapters 2 through 5 are about these three questions. In fact, you can, you can take paragraphs out of 1 John and you can just summarize them under each of those three questions. And it's like a workout. And John takes us on a circuit. And, and at the beginning of 1 John chapter 2, he kind of goes through the am I following God's word circuit. And, and you do a set of reps until muscle fatigue sets in. And then you go on to the am I loving God's people circuit. And then, then, then muscle fatigue sets in. And then am I trusting God's son. And you keep doing those reps until muscle fatigue sets in. And, 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 and he kind of bounces around. He's, it's not exactly linear in this letter. He just, he kind of sometimes goes to God's word and then God's son and then God's people and then God's son and God's word. And, and, and the, he says, the more you exercise those questions into your life, the more the muscle of spiritual confidence grows in your life. And at the end of your life, it really comes down to these three. You know, it's not about the value of your house or questions about your stuff or what other people think about you or your career. At the end of 80 or so years on earth, it all comes down to God's word, God's people, and God's son. That's it. And so, in John chapter 5, verse 6, the apostle returns to God's son. He returns to Jesus, who he says, came by water and by blood. Now, what does that mean? It means this. It means that Jesus came by the water of baptism and he died by the blood of crucifixion. That's what that means. Um, and, and, and this verse doesn't come out of a vacuum either. He's responding to something with this statement. You see, John wrote to refute false teaching and false teachers. And false teachers were, were trying to separate the man Jesus from this title Christ or heavenly Christ. They, they were Gnostics. They were focusing on on. on Jesus the man versus Jesus the heavenly Christ. And, and the false teachers claim that Jesus was kind of just born a regular guy. But then, you know, when he was baptized, this spiritual power called the Christ kind of fell on him and operated on, on him and in his life for three years. And then just before the crucifixion, this heavenly Christ type of force then departed and he just died like a regular guy and his death really doesn't mean anything at all. You know, he didn't die for sin, he just died too bad. And, and you think, well, why, why, would they, why would they talk about that? Why would they spread that kind of, and the reason why is because they, they didn't believe that a holy God would really even want to come down to filthy, dirty earth and put on skin and really rescue Fallen people. It's true. Yeah. yeah. Have you seen that program, um, Dirty Jobs by Mike Rowe? You know what I'm talking about? Sure you have. Everybody's eyes lit up here. Okay. Commercial, right? <laughs> yeah. Dirty. Here's the, here's the tagline from his program. 
Mike Rowe demonstrates how sewer inspectors, garbage collectors, and other unkempt heroes keep the world clean for the rest of us. It's a fun, foul look at some of the grimiest, grungiest, grossest jobs around. Now that person can write a tagline. They ought to write sermons, whoever that is, you know. Grimiest, grungiest, grossest jobs. Alliteration, that's real important for preachers, huh? Fun, foul look, right? The false teachers thought, no, no one would ever do that. that. It's too dirty of a job to come down on earth and rescue us. So, 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 so what really happened was is that this Christ thing came down on Jesus at baptism and then he just kind of gave some good information and then it left just before he crucified because it would have just been too dirty of a job. And the apostle John says, no, that's not right. That's twisted. That's not what happened I was there. Jesus came fully God and fully human at his baptism and at his crucifixion. And at his baptism, the Holy Spirit descended. The Father pronounced, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. And at his crucifixion, he suffered a slave's death as our substitution. He was our proxy, our stand-in for our sin. And John says, I was a witness, I know. In, in baptism, Christ identified with us in our sin, and in his crucifixion, he did something about it. With hands nailed to the cross, he took by force our sins. And you know what? That was dirty work. But he did it because he loved us, and he wants to bring us home with him. And so, so in verses 7 through 11, John, and he writes with style here. He's using a, you got to think word picture. There are three that testify. Okay, we're in a courtroom now, aren't we? There are three that testify. What three? And, and so he personifies the Holy Spirit of Jesus, the baptism of Jesus, and the crucifixion of Jesus. He personifies these three as courtroom witnesses who give corroborating testimony, you see? And all three of these witnesses, all three of these, the baptism of Jesus, the Holy Spirit of Jesus, the crucifixion, what are they saying about Jesus? They're saying the same thing, that Jesus is God, that Jesus, Jesus is eternal life. They're saying that he who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. John's point is that we, we, we must receive Jesus as is. We don't get to concoct our version of Jesus and then follow that. And that's something we need to be careful about because people still do that today, you know. They think that, okay, what's really important, some think that what's really important is not what we believe about Jesus, but just the idea of doing good, you know. In other words, we're the Windsor Road doing good church. And church means gathering, and so we're a gathering of good folks who do good things, like go on missions trips or give out food or sell coffee that benefits third world countries because that's, you know, that's just kind of what good Americans do. It's the, kind of the American way. Or, or these days, it's counter to the American way. Everybody else is crashing and burning on selfish credit card binges, but not us, we're doing good. And John says, that's not clear thinking. You cannot separate what we do from who Jesus is because if there was no Jesus, there'd be no love. John says, we love because God first loved us. He holds the patent on love, not us. And our love is based on 
God's beloved son. And our righteousness is based on the righteous one. And our holiness comes from the holy one. You see, he's the root of our confidence. And so his baptism identified with us in our sin and his crucifixion did something about our sin. And therefore, when we are baptized, it is to declare publicly that our confidence is totally and completely in Christ Jesus. And, and at our first service, we had the privilege of witnessing a young man named Luke Scheidemann who was baptized right there in that baptistry by his father, Lance, as a public declaration of his confidence in who Jesus is. And right now, we are going to have the privilege of witnessing two other baptisms here, Cain and Gabe Hewitt, who are sons of Cole and Vicky, and uh, Cole himself, dad, about five years ago, was baptized right in that baptistry. And now he is going to have the privilege of immersing his sons into Christ right now. Jesus left us with two very physical symbols to remind us of the deep spiritual truths, uh, baptism and communion, and, and both declare our absolute and complete confidence on him to do what we are unable to do ourselves. And, and John says here that he did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And that blood represents his crucifixion. And we are reminded of the crucifixion of Christ when we celebrate the Lord's Supper each week. And we're going to do that now. And if you're a believer, I, I want to uh, invite you to share in this time. Communion says that the Lord Jesus Christ is doing for his people the work which the Jewish high priest of old did on behalf of the Israelites. Jesus is acting as the manager and the representative and the mediator in all things between his people and God. Jesus is ever presenting on their behalf his own perfect sacrifice, his all-sufficient merit before God the Father. Jesus is ever obtaining daily supplies of fresh mercy and a fresh grace for his poor, weak servants who need daily mercy for daily sins and daily grace for daily necessities. Jesus, the root of our confidence. Lord Jesus, we love you. And we are a part of your family because of you and only because of you. And you are the sure rock upon which our faith rests. And again, you give us reminders of your power and of your grace and of your mercy. And now, as we distribute the bread and the juice, we are reminded of the power of your death on the cross as a substitute for us. You lived the life we should have lived and you died the death that we should have died. Thank you. 
Amen. So John says to us that Jesus is the root of our confidence. And then as he closes out, we're learning that Jesus' love is the fruit of our confidence. The fruit of our confidence. And, and, and you know where that touches, John says, initially, it affects our prayer life. It affects the way we approach God and what we say and how we pray. We, we start thinking about what God's will is. Prayer becomes not just our shopping list for God, but research time with God to discern his will. Look at 1 John 5, 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. This is the confidence that, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. So, so our, prayer lives, our prayer lives are enriched as the love of Jesus is the fruit of our confidence because we start thinking about what God wants. And we start researching and praying and meditating. God, what is it? It's like the psalmist who said, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And that means then when we start praying, we start praying for others and their spiritual lives. And we start getting concerned about their spiritual health and their choices. And we don't want to see others live in a way that would lead to spiritual death or spiritual separation from God. And I think that's what John's getting at here in verse 16. These are strong words. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, when he's talking about death there, I really think he's talking about spiritual death because because when he uses the word life in 1 John, he's talking about spiritual life. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to spiritual death, he should pray and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. So, so we want to pray for our brothers and sisters that, that their lives would be sensitized to God and what he wants and and at the same time, the child of God is also street smart enough to know that there are, there are some who just absolutely want nothing to do with God whatsoever, no matter what. And John says, well, that kind of an attitude or the kind of teaching that denies who Jesus is, well, that's, that's the kind of sin that, that does lead to spiritual death, you see. He says, and I'm not saying we should pray about that. Now, think about that for a minute. For an apostle, I mean, those are strong words. But on the other hand, for an apostle, an apostle to say something like that speaks of the gravity of the sin, you see. The deliberate, ongoing, continual sin of rejecting who Jesus is and what he's done. He's not talking about an occasional slip here. He says all wrongdoing is sin. And there, there is sin that does not lead to spiritual death. No, he's talking, about, he's talking about the ongoing, deliberate, you see, rejection of Jesus. As believers, our confidence in Christ helps us reach out. And, 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 and we're praying for others. And, and we not only pray for others, but we may even pray to be the answer to their problem. Lord, help me reach out to help someone when they stumble. 
And we pray this way because we have a spiritual understanding that we didn't have before. Look at verse 20. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. We have a spiritual awareness now that we didn't have before. See, we not only, it's not about knowing, knowing about God, it's knowing God. Knowing God. Knowing the true God. The true, he is the true God and eternal life. He's talking about Jesus there. And because Jesus is the root, I don't have to keep wondering if I'm a child of God, if I've received him. I, I belong to the king. And now I can go out into the world and act like an heir of the king, knowing that I belong to him, knowing that I'm protected, and knowing that I can love like him. And that means I can take risks Risks of love that maybe I wouldn't normally take. Have you seen this kind of risk-taking love lately? Have you? Gets back to that question that I posed earlier. Where have you seen the love of Jesus lately? Especially in these past couple of months here as we've been studying 1 John. Where have you seen the love of Jesus show up in your life or in the life of your family, your small group? Have you, have you seen Jesus' love in this church, I, I want to give you all an opportunity, if you want to, uh, to answer that question. Where have you seen the love of Jesus lately? And so the last verse of 1 John chapter 5 is verse 21, where John says, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Keep yourselves from idols. This is not unrelated to the rest of this letter. You see, so you need to understand what an idol is, okay? An idol is anything that occupies the place that should be occupied by Jesus. That's what an idol is. And, and so you see, that reaches far across cultures and continents and people groups. And it certainly speaks in our culture, doesn't it? An idol is anything that occupies the place that should be occupied by Jesus. Keep yourselves from idols. For them, it was the idol of this false teaching about Jesus. For us, it's anything that occupies the place that ought to be occupied by Christ. And even if that can be a good thing. You see, a good thing can become a bad thing when it is an idol kind of thing. So John's word to all of us is center your life on Jesus and no one else. If you center your life on good things, or even good people, if you center your life on your spouse, you will be emotionally dependent, jealous, and controlling, and the other person's problems will be overwhelming to you. If you center your life on your family and children, you will try to live your life through your children until they resent you or have no self of their own. At worst, you may abuse them when they displease you. If you center your life on your career, you will be a driven workaholic and a boring, shallow person. At worst, you will lose family and friends, and if your career goes poorly, you'll develop deep depression. If you center your life on money, you'll be eaten up by worry or jealousy. Worse still, you'll be willing to do unethical things to maintain your lifestyle. If you center your life on pleasure and comfort, you will find yourself addicted to something. You'll become chained to escape strategies by which you avoid the hardness of life. If you center your life on relationships and approval, you will be constantly overly hurt by criticism and thus you'll always be losing friends. You'll fear confronting others 
and thus you'll be a useless friend. Even if you center your life on religion and morality, you will, if you're living up to your moral standards, be proud, self-righteous, and cruel. And if you don't live up to your moral standards, your guilt will be devastating. Keep yourselves from these idols, John says, and center your life on Jesus and his splendor and his majesty and his beauty and his grace and his truth. You center your life on Christ and you won't be self-conscious and you won't be self-confident. You'll just be self-forgetful. Center your life on Christ who is the root of our confidence and whose love is the fruit. Amen? Amen. Let's stand for closing prayer and then Katie will sing us out. Our Father... We love you. And we want you first, always, all the time. Every day, today, tomorrow, next year. We want you first. We want you occupying the place of our deepest affections. Thank you again for Jesus, our confidence our life. Amen.